Section 52 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 2 The Thoroughness of the Disaster. The Duvra differed in shape as well as in height. On the little Duvra, curved and pointed, long veins of comparatively soft brick colored rock could be seen, branching out from base to summit enclosing the inner part of the granite in its layers. Along the lines where these reddish layers cropped out, there were breaks favorable for climbing. One of these breaks, situated a little above the wreck, had been so enlarged and worked upon by the dashing of the waves that it had become a sort of niche where a statue might have been lodged. The granite of the little Duvra was rounded on the surface and soft like touchstone a softness which detracts nothing from its durability. The little Duvra terminated in a point, like a horn. The great Duvra, polished, unbroken, smooth, perpendicular, and as though cut from a pattern, was in one piece and seemed made of black ivory. Not a hole, not a break. The cliff was inhospitable. The convict could not have made use of it for flight, nor a bird for her nest. At the summit there was, as on the man-rock, a platform. Only this platform was inaccessible. One might climb the little Duvra, but not maintain one's post there. One might sojourn on the great Duvra, but not climb it. Gilead, after his first glance, returned to the boat, unloaded it on the largest of the projections on a level with the water, made of the whole cargo a sort of compact bale, which he tied up in a tarpaulin, fastened to it a sling with its hoisting ring, thrust this bale into a niche in the rock where the water could not reach it, then, from projection to projection, clutching the little duver firmly, using both feet and hands, clinging to the smallest niche, he climbed up to the Durande, shipwrecked in the air. On arriving on a level of the paddle-boxes, he sprang upon the deck. The Durande presented all the traces of a frightful deed of violence. It was the terrible rape of the storm. The tempest behaves like a band of pirates. Nothing so resembles a deed of crime as a shipwreck. The cloud, the thunder, the rain, the gales, the waves, the rocks. This group of accomplices is horrible. Standing on the abandoned deck, one was reminded of something like the furious revelry of the spirits of the sea. Everywhere there were marks of their rage. The strange contortions of certain portions of the ironwork pointed to the mad force of the wind. The lower deck was like the dungeon of a madman, where all was broken. There is no beast like the sea for dismembering its prey. The waves are full of claws. The wind bites. The tide devours. The billows are jaws. It is a tearing apart and a crushing at one and the same time. The paw of the ocean strikes a blow like that of a lion. The ruin of the Durande presented this peculiar feature, that it was detailed and minute. It was a sort of terrible plucking asunder. Many things seemed done intentionally. One could say, what malice! The fractures of the planking were artistically made. Ravages of this sort are peculiar to the cyclone, to tear in morsels and work like a joiner, such is the caprice of this enormous devastator. 
The cyclone has some of the studied elegances of the hangman. The disasters which it causes have the look of executions. One would say that it cherishes rancor, that it exercises the refined cruelty of a savage. It dissects while it exterminates. It tortures the victim. It avenges and amuses itself. It descends to acts of pettiness. Cyclones are rare in our climate, and all the more to be dreaded because they are unexpected. To come in contact with a rock may cause a storm to turn as on a pivot. It is probable that the hurricane had made a spiral on the Douvre and had been abruptly converted into a water-spout on striking the reef, which explained the fact that the vessel had been cast to such a height in these rocks. When the cyclone is blowing, a vessel weighs no more in the wind than a stone in a sling. The Durande had received a wound like that of a man who had been cut in two. She was an open trunk, permitting the escape of a mass of fragments similar to entrails. Cordage hung floating and trembling. Chains shivered as they swung to and fro. The nerves and fibers of the vessel were bare and exposed. What was not broken was disjointed. Fragments of the sheathing of the lining were like curry-combs, bristling with nails. All wore the shape of ruin. A handspike was no longer anything but a bit of iron. A sounding lead, only a lump of lead. A dead eye was only a bit of wood. A halyard was no longer anything but a scrap of hemp. A coil of rope was no longer anything but a tangled skein. A bolt-rope was a mere thread in a hem of a sail. Everywhere was the lamentable work of useless demolition, nothing but what was unhooked, unnailed, cracked, wasted, bent, scuttled, annihilated. No adhesion in this hideous heap, everywhere torn, dislocated, ruptured, and a peculiar inconstant and liquid quality which characterizes all confusion, from the confusion of men, which is called battle, to the confusion of the elements, which is called chaos, all was crumbling, all was flowing, and a stream of planks, hatches, ironwork, cables, and beams had stopped at the edge of the great fracture in the hull, whence the least shock would precipitate the whole into the sea. What remained of this powerful frame, formerly so triumphant, the whole of that stern, suspended between the two Douvres, and on the point, perhaps, of falling, was cracked here and there, and allowed the dark interior of the vessel to be seen through large apertures. The foam from below spat upon this miserable object. End of chapter 2 The Thoroughness of the Disaster